join us as we take a look behind the scenes with the independent musicians of Louisiana. Learn about upcoming projects before they drop. Experience the rich heritage of iconic venues and get first-hand accounts of exclusive events. Musicians are remarkable people. Get to know them, their struggles, and the inspiration for their art. NewOrleansMusicians.com is dedicated to uplifting the artists and providing them with the tools necessary to elevate their craft. We shine a spotlight on them, as well as highlight the music scene and educate everyone with our interviews, album reviews, and music scene news. This is NewOrleansMusicians.com. I grew up on the mean streets of University City in Kenna. Okay, in Kenna, <laughs> bruh. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, the oldest memory that I have is, you know, I think around 72, maybe standing on that, uh, that platform where the, you know, the foundation where they built the house. But anyway, that's, that's where I grew up. And uh, I, left that, I left University City in Kenna about uh, when I was 15 years old, moved in with my mother. She was already living in Fat City. Okay. Um, which Fat City back in the in the eighties was a, <laughs> you know, you was probably there. Oh yeah. Uh, so you know, and and I lived right down the street on Hesmer, on uh, Hesmer Avenue. So to, for me to get to, you know, Seventeenth Street was literally fucking two minutes. Yeah. You know, walk. You know, now the walks to the bar were always nice and clean. The walks back got interesting. Um, you know, wait, I woke up in a few alleys, you know, along the way, you know, 10 o'clock in the fucking next morning. And was shit. that, was that because of city planning or the condition of your mind on the way back from the bar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, now it's more for city, because of city planning. But, sure. Uh, but yeah, no, it, but that was just the stomping ground where I really, you know, you know, in Kenner, when I was a kid, I started playing guitar, you know, when I was eight. Uh, you know, my dad had one, he was a musician. Okay. So... He had a cover band back in the 80s, uh, in late 70s. And, uh, you know, he was pretty pretty popular for what he did. And the, his drummer was Chris Brown, okay. the owner of Soundcheck Music. Okay. So, so when I was really young, I was able to go with him to rehearsals and just see it all, you know. Okay, and what is really young? Well, he would, he would be bringing me over there around 10 years old, you know. Okay. So I, I would fucking dabble with a guitar, you know, and just interested in it and shit when I was eight, you know. But when I hit 11 years old or so, uh, 12, man, that's when I really started to fucking go, oh, I can do this, you know. And I, and I really started to get interested in it. So he would bring me to rehearsals, man, and I'd see the whole thing, man. The fucking guys setting up the, the banter, the fucking music, man. Just enthralled with it all, man. Just, just you know, wow. You know, yeah. look at this. I, I got to be a part of it. It's in the blood. So, you know, the, with watching that and growing up where I grew because that's where my dad played, you know, in Fat City in the early 80s was, um, you know, it was fucking nothing but bars. I was surprised to find out because I was, I was running Fat City a little later on in life and I was surprised to find out that it was uh, a destination for my dad's era before us. Right. And it, it never dawned on me. I thought it was some playground that was unto, <laughs> unto right. my own generation you know because it seemed like it was tailor-made for me yeah yeah absolutely and, and you know when we got there it was you know a few years later you know um his crowd kind of went away the older crowd and it became you know the hooligans you know yeah so it was me and kirk's turn and you know, a lot of other motherfuckers you know and we all went there phil fucking 
You know, we all fucking partied there. Every band in the city fucking... You know, so that street was... Uh, and, that, and that part of town was a big... Uh, that's where we all played, you know? It's where we all met each other. It's where I played my first show. Yeah. Um, with... Uh, was a cover band at the time, but that's how, that's where the other two members of Exhorter came from, uh, Andy and David, when we first started uh, Exhorter. So, you know, we, we, we were out there, you know, and, and, you know, so I was always around it. And Chris Brown had Soundcheck, my, my dad's drummer, he had Soundcheck music <coughs> right there in Fat City too. So, I mean, when I'd wake up with a fucking hangover, the first thing I would do is go walk down and hang out in the music store all day and fucking play guitars and just dick around. And then go home to get a shower, go back to the fucking bar and go play. Part <laughs> two. Yeah, yeah. Dip, you know? What was, uh, how was it guitar so early for you? Your father? Yeah, you know, it, uh, the problem was is he, he brought one home from okay. one of his buddies that, uh, you know, was playing guitar and he was a singer, you know. So he had, he had a couple of guitars and he, and he, and he brought one home and just kind of had it there for when his buddy would come over and they would rehearse. So he'd leave that motherfucker sitting on the stand, you know, and I'd, I'd be like, fuck, man, look at this thing. And I'd go, you know, nobody's looking, and I'm, I'm fucking with it, you know. So, but before guitar, man, I think I was going to play piano, <coughs> you know, keyboards and shit, you know. And, uh, you know, I was listening to, I, I was hearing in the background, and, you know, at eight, I don't have a desired fucking form of music just yet. That is way early in life to be picking <laughs> up an, an adult-sized instrument, right, you know. Right, and if I did have a preference, it, it, who knows what the fuck it was, I don't remember. So, uh, but at the, you know, at the earliest ages, man, I mean, uh, the first thing I heard that made me want to fucking, you know, play the guitar was, like, really play it was Billy Gibbons, you know. I, I, I heard uh, my daddy came home with the Fandango album. Because mm-hmm. um, they had to learn a song off of it for his cover band. Oh, okay. Been Tush, you know, one of the popular ones off of that that record. So he put that motherfucker on. And I was like, wait a minute, it can it, it can be like that, you know? And then it just got worse and worse. And Ted Nugent, fucking Van Halen in '78, you know. So I was fortunate, man. To it, it, it was almost like you know something outside of because I like I said I was going for the keyboards, you know. It was almost like something on the outside of it was going. Nah, you need to play guitar, man. You know. So that's that's kind of you know the the beginnings of it, you know. And I just fucking you know I did lessons and shit for a little while, um, not long. I took a little jazz guitar, man, when I was young and, yeah. and did a little bit of that and learned some theory and shit. And then, man, once, you know, I started getting more and more into metal and, and rock and roll and shit, you know, fuck lessons. <laughs> what was ear. your father's cover band? Uh, did Were they sticking to any genre or was it just all over the map? It was it was whatever was popular that day. It was okay. a total so like top, top 40. 40 okay. Yeah. Kind of like what you see today. <clears throat> you know, a lot of the cover bands, are, you know, they, they play in the songs of today. And, and now that, you know, so much time's gone by they're playing the songs of old for the you know you know for people that are coming in these clubs that are fucking 55 and 60 years old sure they could play songs from their era too yeah. you know he did he, and he did that you know he played some 50s and, and 60s and shit but for the most part it was you know it was a total money gig you know mm-hmm. there was no original well, yeah. music or nothing like that yeah cover this, band. Look, my old man could sing his, his ass off at the time man he was you know they, he had one of the hottest you know cover bands in the in the, in the city uh and, and he made plenty of money man and he played all them old clubs man that, that we used to you know go stomping in and shit afterwards yeah. you know y'all were y'all were close when you were yeah. coming up yeah, yeah yeah when we were growing up yeah i mean 
he took off. Look, it, it, my story is no different, really, than a lot of motherfuckers. Him and, him and my mom didn't get along at, at some point, uh, and I think right around when I was uh, 14-ish, he, he split. But he was always around, you know, he, he just he just shacked up with another right. know, lady. So, and he's been with her since. So, uh, you know, so, but yeah, it, it's always been cool. And, and I would go, you know, stay with him for a little while. And, and that's why I got to move to, you know, Hesmer uh, yeah, Street okay. with my mother, you know. So, uh, but yeah, that was cool, you know. And, and you know, at some <clears> point <throat> I branched out because, of course, he didn't like the shit I was playing. <laughs> well, no, I, don't, I think nobody is the keeper of uh, previous generations and vice versa. You, you, they'll, they'll never be satisfied with what we listen to and, yeah. you know. At least we can appreciate what they came, where we came from, which is their their uh, era of music, you know. Um, yeah. Let me ask you. Um, so y'all were already close, and I, I guess uh, it happened. You were old enough that the split didn't really affect you all too negatively. Like you were old enough to understand why and what was going on. Did you feel like playing music? Um, kind of strengthened the bond or reassured you that the bond was still there you know like did it play another role in the background i guess you know it, you know some some motherfuckers crack up over it you know they, the parents split up and sure fucking you know they can't they turn into fucking miserable old folk you know or some yeah. whatever the fuck you know? but I, to be honest man i mean i i'm a i'm a fan of the truth so i'm gonna tell me tell it how it is i was too fucked up i was a bad kid man I really was. I was. I was a horrible fucking kid to raise. Um, I had all the advantages. You know, look, I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't spoon fed. But I mean, I, I'll tell you this: I was the fucking kid in the neighborhood with the swing set, the swimming pool, and all of the toys and shit. Yeah. And everybody else in the neighborhood hated my fucking ass for it, <laughs> and they whipped my ass. So I, that's why I learned how to fight. You know, these motherfuckers come <laughs> whip my ass just because I had the cool shit on the block you know and they, i guess they were jealous of it sure so anyway uh long story short you know most motherfuckers will crack up over that shit you know um i was just a bad kid man i really did it didn't bother me at all because i was too wrapped up in my own shit i was partying man i was playing guitar i was fucking you know running the streets man in and out of you know little bands here at their neighborhood jams yeah. and shit you know getting ass you know i was doing the normal shit you know and, and to be honest i really didn't give a fuck I should have, but, you know, in hindsight, but I, like I said, I was just a bad kid. I, and I was a bad kid all the way up until I was about 22. <laughs> yeah, but you know what, though? Yeah. It, I mean, it, it kind of sounds like you grew up quick because you were young, yeah. keeping the company of older people, um, you know, your dad's bands and friends and things like that. So uh, you were kind of young hanging around with older people. So between yeah. that and divorce, you probably grew up really quick. Yeah, I did. And and I was bad in school, man. I, I, I mean, I had a fucking full, not this, but <laughs> I had a, <laughs> I had a full beard when I was like 14. Oh. So, man, I'd go to fucking school. They would literally send me home because I didn't shave, you know? And, I, and my old man got my ass one time, but they, they sent me home from school. They said, don't come back here till you fucking shave. I went home. I'm in the mirror shaving. He gets home. He's pissed because... What are you doing? Fucking shaving? It's just gonna get worse. I was like, they sent me home, motherfucker. I can't, <laughs> I can't go back unless I do this. He's like, well, let me show you how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know? Yeah, that's growing up quick, Vinny. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, and you're right. I, I saw, you know, the interactions between, you know, how the older fellas treat. Because to be honest, dude, I really didn't hang. I didn't hang a lot with people of my age. You yeah. know, I had maybe two or three fucking close friends that I could hang my hat on. 
and everybody else in the neighborhood I was fucking fighting with yeah. <laughs> you know, at some point. So, yeah, I, I grew up a little too quick, you know, and, and it made me quit school early, man. You know, it turned me into a hustler, you know, street guy, you know. And, yeah. You know, so I squandered all of those great opportunities that, that I had before me because really all I was concerned with was playing my goddamn guitar. Yeah. And listening to as much fucking hardcore and heavy metal as I could get my hands on. That was it for you, huh? Yeah, dude. You know, that that was life, man. I mean, it was, it, you know, it's it's kind of cliche now that people, because if you interview anybody, that's you know, they, they'll tell you the same thing. Dude, I lived, eat, and sleep, slept it. You know, we slept in the practice rooms. You know, we lived on fucking uh, ramen noodles and, you know. It's what we were. I mean, fuck. Jay Saravolo, when, when he joined the band, that motherfucker gave up a, a city job at Kenner, man. It like somebody called in a favor for him. Yeah. Because those jobs didn't grow on trees back then, you know. It was fucking mid-80s, late-80s. And uh, he told his girlfriend, fuck you, get out. I don't want to see you for six months. Quitting that job. He locked himself in his room with a bunch of fucking blow and a fucking fifth of Chevys and just didn't come out until he could play the songs well enough to to be able to take a stage so we were all sold out to the process man you know and especially me that's pretty hardcore that's like a monk status right there <laughs> yeah and that's the thing he gave up you know do we gave up everything man <clears throat> our, our lives you know in mine you know probably would have been a lot fucking different if i'd have just fucking paid attention maybe pick maybe i should have picked the piano <laughs> Because <laughs> that's not very prominent. Well, you know, you know I was going to ask, I mean, we, we went through the why guitar part, but at what point in your life did the transition occur where you went from, because in the beginning you were surrounded by top 40, and now all of a sudden you're surrounded by hardcore metal. Like, where where did that transition occur? I mean, honest, what man, ushered it? I always, I, I wasn't, I always knew when I was younger, you know, and coming up in, you know, those years, I wasn't hearing on the radio or through other avenues of, you know, highways that led to my brain, that, you know, where whoever I was hanging with, I wasn't getting the heavy stuff. And I knew there was more there. You weren't understanding it or you no, weren't was, hearing what was out there? I wasn't hearing the, the heavy, heavy stuff. I okay. wasn't hearing the venoms and the, you know, that a couple of years, like, you know, I want to say maybe like the heaviest shit up till like 1983 three that it, that i had heard and everybody in my neighborhood was listening to was uh merciful fate you know everybody okay. got we got a hold of that record you know and was uh, fucking you know the first one got and everybody was tripping on that motherfucker and then it got worse from there <laughs> i don't know how it could get worse from there but it did and so what do you what do you call in heavier shit is it is it uh thrash like yeah. the intensity i remember yeah like the intensity man okay. like you know you would hear rock bands like <clears throat> do like uh Here's a good example. I mean, fucking the seventies. I'm in the back seat of the car, you know, the Impala, as a kid playing around, and they're driving, and fucking Wayward Son comes on the fucking radio in 1976. I'm hearing that, and I'm going, even at that young age, I'm going, that's a now that's a song, you know. Yeah. Queen, come on, the motherfucker, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody. They play that song, you know, in the seventies, and I'd be like, nah. That's getting a little closer to what, and then they fucking play Elton John, and I'm like, that's not it, you know. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I always knew that, and, and I kept and I kept saying to myself as I, as I grew up, like if if I don't hear it happening, I'm gonna try and create it. But then you know, like I said, man, people in the neighborhood started coming around with records, man. I mean, I remember standing in front of my buddy's uh, 
uh, stereo, man, with the fucking record spinning to fucking kill them all, man, when it first came out, first uh -huh. day. And I'm standing there just with my fucking jaw to the ground. I'm like, okay, it's like that, you know? Okay, I knew this existed. And I knew we could go to places and, and do, you know, and get extreme. I just didn't know that, like, I didn't realize how extreme it was, you know. All really? The, the imagery, the Satanism, the fucking, a lot of motherfuckers in my neighborhood <clears throat> was like, hey, fuck all of this. You got me at Satan, man. Fuck all of that. You know? I wouldn't expect you to feel like you had met your match because it sounds like you were trying to up the ante because you didn't know where the ledge was up until that point. Yeah, yeah. I struggled for for a couple of years you know we had the van halens and iron maiden and right. shit but i'm like where is the because it wasn't like today man you know you would have to you would have to walk there was no import section at warehouse records and tapes in the 70s and 80s there right. wasn't so so you know there was no opportunity to just go <laughs> buy a merciful fate album right out the bend and go oh this looks fucking like it could be heavy you know it just didn't exist so when you heard music man you heard it from a, a older dude that had it down the street you somebody know? else's collection yeah exactly so and, and only he would only let a few motherfuckers hear it because it'd be hollering a bunch of satan shit <laughs> fucking right. murder mur people getting murdered in, in the music you know yeah so but i always knew that that you know if if i didn't hear it i was going to push it and even when i did hear that oh you okay this is acceptable and and i liked it you know and i i liked what i was hearing i still wanted to up it you know acceptable yeah yeah i you know acceptable to the to the degree of uh it still makes it out on a record to your house well no i i, I i'm an extreme guy i i push the envelope no matter what the fuck we're doing look if we're gonna sit here and drink bourbon like if we we're here longer than an hour we're gonna you're not gonna make it home if that's the kind we you want to do these we're gonna do a couple of these we're gonna you know we I, I, everything is extreme uh, if I'm into something, dude, I'm into it all the fucking way, and it's just how I am. It, it, and I'm not just picking and choosing, like, oh, I'm only like that with music. It's with everything. Um, so, yeah, I knew I was going to push it, you know? But I didn't really realize that I could write fucking songs until I was about 16, you know? Really? And by no that problem. point, you were already in a band of your own. I was in a, I was in a band called... <laughs> Thank you, sir. That's <coughs> my attorney. He's getting me some more burn. Mm. Uh, I was in a band... It, it was funny because I was loitering in a bar room on, in Fat City, probably 16, wasn't supposed to be there. And uh, Andy Villafara, first bass player for Exhorter, comes waltzing across the bar, playing his forearm, <laughs> okay? Like, like an air bass. Thank you, sir. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm like, look at this fucking guy, man. This guy, he's weirding me out, man. You know, he's just, he's in my face and he's like, the music's loud as fuck. And he goes, hey, man, my name's Andy. And he puts his hand. I say, hey, man, Vince. You know, he's like, I play in a fucking band. We're playing at the showboat around the fucking corner. Why don't you come check it out fucking tomorrow night? I'm like, cool. So he's just drumming up fucking business, you know. So I, I took a fucking hike down there, watched them and shit. They, dude, that cover band was, dude, they were playing Raven covers, fucking Metallica covers. Uh, dude, all kind of heavy shit, man. They were playing all kind of shit. And uh, I was like, okay, well, this is this is not like the the cover band down the street I was just saw last week that was playing, you know, rat and shit, and you know, because I I just I never did like it, never did like the hair metal thing, never well, went through. Speaking of acceptable, right? You see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So uh, <clears throat> went and saw him, and eventually they had a problem with with a, with a guitar player that they had, and uh, Andy knew that I played, and he's like, look, man, I'll tell the guys you want to try out for this band. It's like, yeah, I'll try out. Uh, 
they gave me David Main gave me ten songs or so to learn and uh, and a week to do it and fucking we had a rehearsal that boom you're in so that's kind of where it started for me so uh, you know by that time I was about 17 years old you know um, fresh and uh, playing my first show you know yeah. them. at that time what was the attitude towards cover bands versus original bands because that's a that's a fence <sighs> yeah you know back then man like there was no fucking line like everything was a cover band and and some of the cover bands like uh that were playing they had a couple of originals <clears throat> and even the one i was in you know with, with yeah. andy and david we had he he had like three original songs or something that, that they would throw in the set but if you played fucking four hours that night you were gonna have to have something to <laughs> yes. throw out there yeah, right so sure. so people didn't give a fuck about your original music in metairie and and in that genre of you know the cover band thing you know um they didn't care man the chicks just wanted to go see fucking dudes with puffy hair and fucking you know sausages stuffed in their spandex you know sure so so you know they could do that on every block so what i realized was was though we went we would start going uptown and hanging out up there and that was where the fucking punk and the hardcore scene was ah and, and that was this all. was new to you well yeah i remember walking out there for the first time man like going to jed's um it was on uh oak street or maple uh -huh. it was fucking street, right down the street from jimmy's music <clears throat> club yep and uh and that's where they would have the uh punk and hardcore activity uh weekends and shit that was basically where we'd all go so circle jerks played black flag fucking i got to see all them bands their kennedys and shit and we would go over there and start hanging over there and and noticing whoa this is a totally different world not only musically but you don't play cover songs out here you know you no band gets up there and plays another fucking uh, a black flag song you, right you you would probably get tomatoes thrown at you <laughs> you know right you had to be an original thing offering something to the scene being part of the culture um and growing it. and it's so i mean I, I get that i get that that would stand out to you but at the same time seeing that whole scene for the first time you still picked up on that sifting through because it's a new scene like you said you're seeing a whole lot of different shit you're seeing you're listening to, to a different style of music I yeah mean, what was your experience with punk music before you even saw it live i had experience with it because through through metal we learned that punk kind of and hardcore basically existed and that's what influenced thrash metal okay so you have you respect know, for it before you got there exactly yeah, so i'm okay. like okay well let me investigate and there was a little it was a little show because we had the, the wtul uh if you remember that shit um the two the little basement over there by Tulane on the yeah. campus they got a station over there and back in those days they had a hardcore night on friday and then they would do a metal show on saturday night and the two brothers that ran it um one one became the uh the da of fucking jefferson parish uh the other one um we we see steve every now and then you know but anyway one brother would do the hardcore night and one brother would do the metal night mm -hmm. so we would go fucking down there and barge in you know and just bring a keg of beer fucking coke you know just do whatever and we just go down to the basement and just watch this motherfucker spin records get on the radio fuck around you know um and we we were learning about all these bands man we're just pulling records and just looking at shit and fucking hey, try this man you know and and through that experience is is really kind of what 
um, built, I think, built Exhorter, or, you know, my first band, it, real band, um, more than anything, more than any other experiences that I had, you know, growing up or anything. Yeah. You know? And that, and you're citing that as your sort of intro to hardcore music at its essence, I guess, punk yeah. and hardcore music at its essence. Pretty much, yeah. Preceding live. Correct. Correct. That was before Exhorter ever, ever <clears throat> dreamed of playing a show. Uh, Exhorter wasn't even a thing, and, and I'm going out to the, to hanging out uptown, and every now and then some of the uptown guys would come see all old bullshit fucking cover band in Metairie, you know, yeah. come over there, yeah, they'd come over by like, uh, by the lake, over by Stan's Hard Rock Cafe back in the day, and you know, Hatch and, uh, used to be with Shellshock, um, mm. uh, and his brother, they they come out to Metairie and see us, and then we go see them, so we had friends, you know, and, and they didn't give a fuck that we were... You know, we were doing our thing over here. I think they, they knew eventually we were going to join them. <laughs> At least I was. Uh -huh. You know, because it's, it's just never... Metairie started feeling... It just it was just stale, dude. Everybody was playing the same fucking songs. I didn't want to be in a cover band to begin with. I just needed a foot in. Mm -hmm. You know? I needed a leg in to, you know, to, to get to know people. Uh, network and and uh, you know I mean the 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 first uh, seed seedlings of Exhorter came out of that band you know? yeah me Andy and David Maine and what did you think about I guess the non acceptance of uh, cover music in any form in that scene I didn't you know I, I agreed with it because um, you know at the risk of throwing my old man under the bus. <laughs> You know, it's like, dude, you're going to make a career playing other... Look, I don't knock people that do it. If And there's a lot of people that do it and do it for a living. It's hard fucking work. I tried it once, man. Like, a buddy of mine fucking texted me a couple of years back, and he's like, hey, man, I'm in a jam. I'm putting together a new cover band, dude. Can you help me out? I got everything. got the horn section. I got everything. I just don't have a guitar player yet. I got three shows booked, a fucking wedding. I was like, okay, man, just don't tell nobody I fucking did. <laughs> you know? So, dude, this motherfucker handed me 150 songs, man. I got like fucking two weeks, you know? And I'm like, dude, it's no joke. What they do is serious business. It is. And I respect them. It, it is respectable. But honestly. to me, back then as a young, <laughs> angstful asshole that was, you know, I, you know, I just felt like, why am I going to spend the rest of my years playing other people's music I, I need to get to a level where i'm writing my own music no matter if people like it or not you know? well you know it, it's uh i don't know how to put it these days i mean it's kind of a gray area because i see a lot of bands that's that's kind of their building blocks or their learning steps you know i mean i, I think that's natural in the progression of any musician is you you start emulating the the bands that you appreciate and and revere and then from there some of them go move on to original work and some of them stick with the covers and then but my point is that you don't have just cover bands or just original music bands these days there's a lot of bands that are cover bands that they've been writing their own stuff and on the side right and they're going to start sprinkling it in here and there and they're, they're, they're going to use cover material as another stepping stone just like you know, uh, a young teen would use cover material right. to, to get it, to cut his teeth. Do right. you know what I'm saying? Sure. So it, it's kind of... Uh, so they're doing the it's same... It's a rite of passage. It is respectable, and it's a rite of passage. Exactly. You know? So they're pretty much doing the same thing I did when I was a kid. You know, I, I started there, but I wanted to ease out, man, and get a, get, get a couple of originals out there, and then eventually, man, I just couldn't, you know. 
I just I, there was things that I couldn't do that was required for me to do in that genre of the cover world that I just didn't feel right about doing, like wearing too much makeup and uh, <laughs> okay. you know the spandex yeah. thing, man. Like Jesus, you know. So you know, <clears throat> look to be honest, man. I, I'll, I'll be straight. We were one of the first bands to it will uh, not. I was one of the first guys like to to deviate from the the system. Sure. <laughs> you know, and I was I was kind of frowned upon, you know. And uh you know, it caused a lot of it caused a lot of beefs, you know, but I was a, like I said, I was an asshole, man, and I I'd, I'd make fun of guys and, you know, for doing it after a while cuz they were making fun of me for hanging out with the punks. And I'm like, man, fuck off, you know. So it got to be a uh you know a lifestyle kind of thing you know like we you know I'm, I'm willing to whip your ass over this shit and the kind of shit now that's how deep you know we were into this man like if you talked bad about exhorter in the 80s you may not be around today talking about it no more dude i'm serious we, we were fucking assholes man yeah you know and and you know i just couldn't do certain things you know and, and still feel like a like a real man you know so I had to get out of that gig, you know, just like, I'm getting out of here. If y'all two want to fucking come, come on, you know, and they did, you know, and we, and we, you know, I just, I felt more, uh, felt more at home, you know, doing it. He's my attorney too. It's your attorney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on the double indemnity, non-disclosure, <laughs> gag order agreement thing later double indemnity yeah whatever that is okay <laughs> yeah um okay so you were talking about um i guess defending your reputation yeah um at any cost um was that kind of par for the course for guys that were coming out on the front of extreme music or thrash music at the time no because we were we were really the only fucking ones and we were the first fucking band, Exhorter, to to come out of the band that we were in before that and deviate from the system. So we were we were kind of looked at like, and we were told shit like the chicks ain't never gonna come see that. And by deviation, and, what are you you talking about? Uh, typifying the era like hair bands and yes, yes, okay. we made a. a <clears throat> We made it a clear, well, at least I did. <laughs> I made it a clear cut line, okay? Once I'm out of this, I don't want nothing to do with hairspray. Which, I don't want to see it no more. And, and I look, so what I'm trying to tell y'all is, is there's another world over here. I tried to take people with me, you know? Um, I, I tried to tell them there's a better way, you know? And I knew a couple of guys that were doing this thing and was just doing it to make money. They had no job. No, they didn't want a day job. Just doing what? Just playing music, you know, okay. playing covers, you know, making enough money to survive. You know, they all living together and shit and doing what they can to, to be together, you know, and, and make it. And I'm trying to tell them, listen, I know you hate this shit, you know. What, come with me. Come with us. <laughs> yeah, right. Let me, you know, and some, yeah, a lot of it was resistance, man, you know. Ah, the chicks will never listen to that. You'll never make a dime playing that kind of music, you know. And, and you know what was funny? A fucking year later, all of the same guys are fucking heavy now, and they're big names today. You know, they, they yeah. you know, and everybody, you know, the times were changing. <clears throat> it was easy to kind of leave that thing, and and look, there was a lot of good talent here that was, in my opinion, uh, needed to get out of that sooner than later and become what they are today. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, a pioneer is a tough gig in itself. You know what I'm saying? Do you? Um, 
I guess I was going to ask what your attitude was towards those people at that time. Did you feel like they were selling out or, you know, not, not so much were their feelings of ill will, like nothing like that, but did, did you feel like they just didn't get it or did you feel like that's okay, they can do their own thing, but I'm going to do this? Like, what was your attitude towards their view? Well... It wasn't good, so <laughs> okay. So at first it kind of was, you know, but then then you know it kind of got to be. Well, you know, you're telling me I'm never going to make a fucking dime playing this shit. Yeah, that was a bit much. That, yeah, you know, so so it's almost like you're trying to discourage me from, you know, this. So so I just, you know, to be honest, I started a feud with a couple of them, you know, and it, and I'm not proud of it today. I, I you know, it was, was kind of childish and shit, but, um, you know, at the time, but uh, well now. But at the time, I felt like I was, you know, defending my fucking honor. Like, hey, man, you know, if you're going to fucking, you know, I'll I'll call you a, a fucking poser if, if you're not going to fucking, if you're going to call me, um, tell me I'm wasting my fucking time, man, fuck you. Yeah. You know? So that got to be beefish, you know? And, and we had beef, you know? We, uh, we had a little beef very briefly with a couple of, you know, guys over it and shit. So, yeah, our attitude, my attitude wasn't good toward it, you know. And, look, I only speak for myself. I, I'm not speaking for the rest of the guys, you know. Yeah, I get it. You sounded like a little bit of a, a rowdy individual. I uh, was, man. Mr. I'm, Vinny. I'm mellow. <laughs> I'm, you know. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I'm tired, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, nah, man, it wasn't, you know, but, but it all cleared itself up, you know. It, it was just young teenage beef, <clears throat> man, and... I made fun of a couple of them, and they fucking, you know, and we fought a little bit over it, and sure, everybody shook hands a year later. So you attribute it to your age at the time, and not, <clears throat> excuse me, the musical path that you were choosing, or was it a little bit of both? It was definitely both, man, because I, I was so in love with hardcore and real metal, dude, and, and mm -hmm. you know, re just heavy music in general. I was so in love with it. It was everything. I, I literally would rather die than to, you know, throw, don't throw me a can of spray net, man. I, I'd rather die. Yeah. I'd take my own fucking life before I do that kind of So it really was. <clears> I, I was <throat> defending that music, that culture, um, and, and I was just trying to tell everybody, listen, a year or two from now, you're going to be fucking doing it anyway. Let's do it. <laughs> Come yeah. on. Let's change. Look, they're doing it uptown. Let's change our fucking turf too, man. Sure. Okay. Well, the chicks don't like it, but now, but they will. You know. Right. How many How many chicks want to watch dudes fucking look like chicks for? How many years is that gonna last? Right. Eventually, yeah, they're gonna want a real fucking man. I. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Saying. I. Uh, I ask because recently, more than once, it's come up. So. I've been a fan of many different genres, one of which was hip-hop coming up as a child. That's cool. I like hip-hop. And what was kind of revealed to me over time was that it, this is not just a genre of music. Hip-hop yeah. is uh, composed of elements, um, turntablism, graffiti, you know, breakdancing, MC, and these things. And I always thought that that was unique unto that genre. Yes. And... Um, it's kind of been revealed to me recently through these interviews that that's just not the case. I interviewed a guy really? that was, he, he's, he's really into funk music. He's got his own funk band. And for him, it is a way of life. He said it's not, he refuses, he was kind of indignant about it. He was like, you know, it's not just uh, a genre of music. 
It's a mindset. It's a presentation. It's a stage presence. It's the way you dress. It's the way you think and act. And I'm like, you know, the assimilation started bringing me back to what I learned later on in life about hip hop. And I just loved that idea so much. That the culture was so interwoven into the music. Whatever it is, because let's face it, like music just as a medium, you can't describe it verbally. Like there's no vernacular that that could I could convey to you to make you feel like I felt when I heard right. something. Exactly. And that's it's an emotion. Sacred yeah. right. to me. And for him to describe his love for funk music, um, and dude lives it. Like he looks like Parliament walking down the street. Right, right. Okay. He's in, right. He's in it. <laughs> All, 120, dude. And <laughs> and I admire that about him. But for him to kind of convey that message to me and make me see, you know, it is comprised of elements. And it doesn't matter what genre you choose. Like the the mindset. Not just for the performer, you know, there's the presentation, the showmanship and all of those things, but there's a certain, there's a certain mantra that might go with it, the, the, a certain way of life that might go with it, you know, you can't be in uh, a serious rapper unless you're on the streets so many years, like they have created levels to different genres, you're not going to sing about country music if you live in the city and have everybody take you seriously, exactly. you got to earn it. Exactly. And I think hardcore music is one of those things because you have to live it. You can't be hardcore, you can't play right. thrash music unless you've actually lived that. So I don't think right. it's too far-fetched and the reason I was asking was it your age or was it the, the genre is because, and I think you answered appropriately, it's both. Uh, a little bit of bravado in your age and yeah. also a little bit of necessity in the world of, of hardcore music because you can't be hardcore unless you're married to that shit. That's it. Or else you're not. That's it. Those are two genres. And funk, funk's a great example. I mean, it, it is a niche genre. You know what I mean? It's not for everybody. And and if you and if you, it's like when you, if you don't know nothing, right? And you show up like you know. When I walked in Jed's for the first time, uh -huh. first fucking thing I saw when I walked into my first hardcore show ever, walked into Jed's. Remember Doobie? Um, used to play with Graveyard Rodeo. Heard him. Drummer. Yeah. Big fucking damn near seven foot motherfucker, right? Satanic <clears> as all <throat> hell. Fucking <laughs> just a, an animal amongst animals. Okay. First thing I saw. I'm thinking of should do be a fat city. No, no. This guy. No this, was, <laughs> <laughs> no, this motherfucker was a serious individual at the time. And I never met none of these people, man. I never seen none of them. I'm just there for my first show. The fucking ladies room door. Wow, comes kicking out and here comes Doobie with a fucking chick over his shoulder uh -huh. and he just takes her and it was upstairs he takes her and he fucking walks her down the stairs and walks her straight out the fucking door <laughs> I think I'm home you know yeah here's the thing like if if you see that kind of shit for the first time it, what I'm saying is is like if you enter into that thing and you go, oh, I have to behave, in order to be here, I have to behave this way, or I have to look this way. Uh-huh. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of element to that, but to be honest, man, you just kind of fall into the culture. If you don't meld with the culture, you're probably not going to meld well with the, with the music either, you know? It wouldn't appeal to you. 
You wouldn't understand it. Right. Uh, it, one begets the other, I think. Right. And look, I'm a huge funk fan, but I got to be honest, I don't go around with the, you know, looking like Bootsy, you know? Sure. Um, but I played I play with a lot of funky mother Mardi Gras Indians, and, and I played in an organ trio with Mike for a long time, and um, and I've been around, you know, that genre, and I love funk music. Matter of fact, you can hear it in Exhorter. You can hear it in my music today. You haven't heard any new stuff yet, but... Um, I'm not I'm not so much into funk where I gotta like you know I gotta be funk you know yeah but it is part of me you know but I get what you're saying though I I, I do you know it's like uh, if if you embrace the culture then I believe you can really embrace um, what the music really is man you know that you can it, it, I mean because it can be so cookie cutter man you know okay I want to write a hardcore song. All right, I need to know three chords. And, right, you know, yeah. I mean, that, might, to that this, might work you know. for the next commercial, but it's, you know, it's not right. going to tickle my brain cell. And I'll be, able to, I'll be able to sniff them out. I don't know about you, but... You yeah. can kind of tell, yeah. Yeah. You, you can tell, you know. So, um, so you had experienced, I guess, uh, an anti-lifestyle, I guess, and that appealed to you because certain elements certain parts of you were trying to spread that elsewhere already big time um when you were able to break away from the situation you were in um when a dust settled who was with you and where were you going well uh i told andy man i said listen bro i can't do this anymore i was basically given an ultimatum in that band i was in a dressing room we were about to play a show and i was thrown some garments yeah, wear these tonight. And when I looked at these garments, <laughs> I was like, I can't go out there like this, you know. And they said, well, you have to or you're out this band. I said, well, then I'll be out this band then. Wow. Tonight, motherfucker. So, <laughs> all right, all right, okay. We just, you don't have to wear that. So I, that was the last show I played with him. And uh, I told Andy the next day, I said, listen, I'm out of here, okay. If you want to come with me, come on. But I'm starting another band. I don't know what it's going to be, dude, but it ain't going to be fucking this. So about two weeks later, you know, Andy goes, dude, I'm, fuck this. I don't want to be in this no more either. So he left and came with me. And what was we, the name of this band? Because I don't think he... It was called Sabotage. Okay, I don't think you had It's really that. nothing out there about it. It was, it was only around for a couple of little years, you know, back then, you know, and not, not a big to do, but... Yeah. Um, Andy, I think it was Andy fucking started that band. I, I don't even remember. But anyway, Andy's like, fuck, I can't do this no more. So he came. And then we started writing Slaughter in the Vatican together. Um, and, you know, we didn't have a singer. We didn't, it was just me and him, you know. So eventually David Maine says, ah, I got I to gotta get out of here too, you know. So he left and came with us. And then we went and found uh, Chris and, and Kyle. And, uh, you know, about a year after that, maybe, maybe a little less, maybe about six to eight months but we spent a little time together writing and, and playing and plotting and scheming mm -hmm. you know and the whole time we were getting heat from the place where we left you know so what do but, you mean by that getting heat from the place where you left. well you know the, 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 the cover world you know all okay, the people in the other, world and the other cover bands are like y'all fucking nuts no you know yeah so so but we didn't give a fuck you know so we went and found chris nail and uh and Kyle Thomas was loitering around a DRI show uh, somewhere in town, and uh, he was 16. And uh, you know, he Andy come up to me and he said, uh, 
hey, I met this guy. He says he can sing. I said, okay, fuck, give him a try, you know. And again, punk was the kind of that was the thing that brought us all together. You the know, gel. when yeah, me and Andy, awesome. when me and Andy and David left, you know, Metairie for good, uh, so to speak, you know, um, we we just you know everything we did was stemmed out of the the hardcore scene at that point because we really couldn't hang out. And I mean, we did hang out in Fat City, but we was we didn't fit in anymore, man. You know, we were like fish out of water, dude. And this know? is uh, circa what year? Fuck, eighty. I started Exhorter in eighty. The summer of eighty-five is when I fucking the end of the that summer I peeled out of there and I said, man, I'm out. Of, I can't do this no more. All right. And then it took till about um, eighty-six ish, beginning of eighty-six, to get Chris and and Kyle and every and the other two involved. You know. Um, and then we just kept writing songs from there and going forward, you know. And then we, I think we played our first show at the uh, in the summer of yeah it, yeah it was the summer of '86 on Franklin Avenue. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, what's up, everybody? Normally, in the middle of podcasts, they give you a bunch of advertisements, but on the NewOrleansMusicians.com podcast, we like to shout out our members. Today, I've got a rock and roll band for you by the name of Green Gasoline. Their members are from Lake Charles, New Iberia, Baton Rouge, Metairie, and West Wego, and they're currently living in New Orleans. They're inspired by bands like Black Sabbath, Thin Lizzy, Judas Priest, and Deep Purple. They've got a catalog stemming back to 2018, and they've played many cities and festivals all over the Gulf South. They're in a really good Spotify playlist, too, called NOLA Metal, which also includes Down, I Hate God, Acid Bath, Soylent Green, and Exhorter, and you can find them on their own page, Green Gasoline, on Spotify. They're also on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook under Green Gasoline Band, and I'm really glad to have them as a member on NewOrleansMusicians.com. They've got a new album coming out called Strike When the Iron is Hot. That release date is on April 22nd of this year, 2023. And their release show will be at Twist of Lime in Metairie on that date. But hey, I won't keep you any longer. Here's an example of their work. This is actually an unreleased track by them called Sweet Mercy. Check it out. And now back to our show. Okay, so that's yeah. that's not a huge span of time, no. Um, no. but I gotta ask though. I mean, how how are you how are you eating? Because I mean, the the other the cover situation wasn't a gold mine, but that was how you were sure feeding sure. yourself. So. Well, not not really. I mean, dude, we were all of us were staying with our fucking parents. You oh, know? okay. We were kids. I was fucking seventeen years old when I started Exhorter. Okay, you know. I didn't real okay. I thought I thought the band was living together at that point. No. The, the first band. No, no, no. Um, Sabotage. No, we were all we were all staying with our own folks. You gotcha. Know, we were gotcha. just kids. So you, know? you had the luxury of time to kind of um, yeah formulate this what you wanted it to be before you 
jumped out on stage. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we um, you know, we, we, and it was a good amount of time because we couldn't find a singer, man. Like, I found, I, I had a badass drummer. I had Jeff DeWarte at the time. And if Jeff sees this, he'll love this. But he, he was, at the time, he was the baddest drummer in town, okay? And the only dude that I could see pulling off the shit that I was writing and, and wanted him to do. So he, and he agreed to do it. And then he goes, well, and then he called me like a week or two later and he goes, Vince, I got to move to fucking LA. I'm like, fuck, you're fucking killing me. He's like, it's okay though. I got a, I got a guy who's even better than me. I was like, fuck, that's impossible. He says, no, and he's got a mohawk and he'll fit in with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so he gave me Chris Nail's number <clears throat> on a fucking little piece of fucking matchbox or some shit. And I called him. And that was that. So that was the nucleus of the band for a good while before we got a singer. We went through a couple of guys coming in and out, and it just wasn't, you know. Yeah. But Kyle, you know, he was he was special, man. You could even when he was young, you know, you could tell, man, this dude, you know, this dude uh, gives a shit, you know. He's a worker, you know, and uh, he made it happen, man. He did, you know, and he took a lot of. At the time, he was very pliable, you know. He he could uh, he could absorb information and turn it into results. You know, yeah he's still like that you know um i don't know at what point during this interview you had mentioned it but it was something about um southern influence even on thrash music yeah and uh i don't think it takes a magnifying glass to to feel that to hear that to see that i think it 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 emanates um even through a medium that you might not expect to find it in I guess you would say, and um, I think it's unique to this area, and uh, I, I find it fascinating. When you were, since since punk was kind of, I'm not going to say the sole inspiration for what you ended up doing, but some of the punk acts, did you did you hear what I'm describing now about thrash music in some of the local punk at that time with yes. their southern influence in punk? Yes, you could hear it in Graveyard Rodeo kind of, man. I mean, they, were, they weren't really a, a punk band. They, they definitely had punk influence, but, uh -huh. um, but they were metal in a way, you know? Um, really fucking... They were the heaviest punk band out there. I can tell you that. A hardcore band or whatever the fucking they were doing. They were doing that. They were in their own <laughs> whatever thing. Whatever they were doing. Bro. It was heavy. And it was very inspirational to, to me. Yeah. You know, because I, I was like, fuck, now I got to. It's the same way I heard Metallica in 80 fucking whatever, you know, going, wow. You know, I saw a Graveyard Rodeo and I was like, fuck, there's somebody in my hometown doing this. Uh -huh. You know? So, uh, you know, I saw a version of it. But you could hear that Southern influence in them. You know, it, all the bands here. I mean, um, it's just a different vibe. I've said this a million times in, in a lot of interviews and, and magazines and shit. New Orleans, I don't get, if you grew up here, it's going to touch you. You will be touched by the groove. Mm -hmm. Okay? You're going to get it. It's like a fever. You, you're going to learn how to live with it. it it's going to hurt at first. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a little pain. It's like having a baby. But, but it's going to touch you. <laughs> And, and 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 subconsciously you are going to do you are going to infuse that groove and that feel into whatever it is you're doing i don't give a fuck if you're making gumbo or you're writing fucking desecrator or fucking any other song from any other artist from fucking new orleans new orleans is in it and it's the only place on earth like it 
and you can't you can't get this in Mississippi. You can't drive fucking two hours from here and get it. No way. You can't get it from Lafayette. You got to be here. Yeah. So when Pepper does his thing, when Kirk does his thing, when Jimmy does his thing, when Philip does his thing, when I do my thing, when everybody does their thing, it's in them. And and that's and I and I don't think they tried or set out to do it. You know, I know I didn't. I didn't sit down and go. All right, let me make this as southern as I can because this is where I'm from and I have to be southern and you know and I got to be from New Orleans so let me make it funky it just happened you know yeah I mean especially in a, in a genre like thrash fucking metal you know it's hard I had no idea we were you know I mean a lot of people coin us for creating groove metal you know um, I didn't know that we were fucking doing that I didn't know at the time I thought I was just, I would thought I was as fast and as mean and as heavy as I could be. Sure. I had no idea I was grooving anything. Sure. You know, it just happened. Yeah. Um, but you did mention kind of picking that up. It was the originals in the punk scene. And you noticed off top that covers were not permitted right. in that scene. Well, might not have been permitted, but it was definitely well, not. I mean, you know, yeah. in a manner of speaking, you're Absolutely. like, that shit don't fly here, however you want to put it. Right. You ain't got to say it, just don't do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The, the Southern influence was, did that even occur to you? Because no. like you're saying, it's not something that people intentionally set out to do. It's just a, it's, it's a product of your upbringing, not of any intention. But yeah. being in... I, I guess visiting or being in uh, the punk scene, experiencing local bands, um, did you pick up on any of that? Could you tell the difference? Like, you, you know, Black Flag was all over the place. Black Flag wasn't from here. Could you tell Black Flag wasn't from here? Like, did that occur to you? No, because the, the lines were kind of blurred when it came to hardcore, you know? Okay. It wasn't like... Like when metal, you could tell like New York had its own sound, <clears throat> you know, Madball, fucking, you know, those kind of ba agnostic front. They had okay. their own thing. The the Bay Area had, you know, Testament, fucking, they was they was Exodus, fucking, they was their own thing. Yeah, I don't know if I so much feel like, um, you know, Minor Threat just because they were from up north is, you know, they sounded like all the other hardcore bands from up north, you know, or punk bands, you know. I don't. I don't think it, it really bled into to punk and hardcore as much as it did, uh, you know, separating those lines with metal. You know, like the New York sound, the L.A. You know, fucking over the San Francisco sound. It's 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 a know? murky water. It's an influence. I wouldn't say it's a separating or divisive line, but it is an influence. Sure. You know, it's a different tint to that water. You but know? the whole time, while San Francisco and New York had their own thing, uh -huh. and even Florida. You know, Tampa had their own the death metal movement, you know. They had the Florida sound, you know, to get the you know, people are starting to pick up their regional sounds. The South wasn't really talked about back then. Uh, they it's, still aren't. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Nothing's so, changed. <laughs> that's what I was saying. Like I remember fuck, I remember <clears throat> people from labels. Dude, labels were turning us down in the mid-80s left and right, okay, because we were too cliche. We had the word death in our song too much. And go figure, a few years later, there's a band called Death, and every song's name got death in it. And, you know, death yeah. this, death that. But, you know, again, you know, I didn't hear. You know, we had people at the labels going, you got to get the fuck out of New Orleans, you know. Uh, 
uh, because nothing happens there. Nothing good comes out of there. Well, let me tell you what happened. I stayed right the fuck where I was. We were the first international metal act in our genre, in our, you know, subgenre of like, sure. you know, thrash or really heavy music to yeah. be signed out of this fucking town. And it gave hope, you know, and, and it, 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 I think it gave some hope and, and uh, you know, it opened up the doors for everybody else too. Yeah. You know, to go, hey, fuck, man, Exhorter could do it. Fucking, we could do that. This band could do that. This, you know, and then eventually, man, you know, fucking, these guys took the ball and hauled ass with it, you know. Eventually, it became, to put in your words, acceptable. Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It's got, at some level, you got to have acceptance, you know. And 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 back then, the South was not accepted as a legitimate, you know, especially New Orleans and Louisiana. It, it, people at Roadrunner were even having a hard time trying to figure out how to market us, mm -hmm. you know, because of where we were from and and we were so violent, <laughs> you know, fighting and you know and getting thrown off tours. They didn't know what to do with us, you know. They were like, "Fuck these dudes are crazy." They just they made it sound like we were swamp creatures or something. I mean, I think I remember like one of the first Roadrunner. Um, explanations of what the fuck we were it's like brutal thrash something from the fucking depths of the swamp of louisiana it's like what yeah they didn't know what to say I mean, what, what did you think when you saw that i was like man that's not even close man we ain't from the fucking swamp i don't think yeah. it's for labels <laughs> yeah but i don't think it's for labels to define who bands are but they are tasked yeah. with it because they have to be the liaison between the band and the public or the point of purchase anyway right do you know what i mean right. i thought it was funny um if you listen to ozzy talk about sabbath their first album pops out with an uh like an upside down yeah. cross he's like we weren't satanists i don't know where this even came from we were just <laughs> poor dudes you know you know yeah. but it, it's lost in translation but nobody gives a shit as long as it sells and enables them to do more right. or you know to put it out get it out to the masses that's the first objective right everybody thinks they're satanists but really there was you know nah everybody doesn't realize you know if you just turn a cross upside down fuck uh, who was it? Paul got crucified upside down. Fuck, it's it's not a satanic measure to do that, you know. So maybe yeah, you should. Well, listen, that was that was a loaded statement you gave earlier about what was acceptable because that's there's <laughs> yeah. a lot there's a lot that gets lost behind the veil, you know. That's true. And uh, I think uh, maybe you didn't see it as such at that time, but it was kind of an obstacle for you to or something that you wanted to kill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the shit we went into, believe me, our parents were not down. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. this was the era of Ronald Reagan and, you know, uh, the Cold War and fucking, you know, we were anti-government, anti-fucking God, anti-fucking everything, man. Yeah. Anti-mainstream anything. Anti-Johnny Carson, motherfucker. We didn't give a fuck you and your Johnny Carson show. Even Johnny Carson. <laughs> Even Johnny Carson. Even Ed McMahon? We hated... <laughs> <laughs> no, it was cool. Okay, it's cool. You could party with it. Okay. Um, but you could get laid with Johnny. So he was suave. <laughs> he was suave. He was bad. Well, you could get down. So, uh, you know, I was, we were anti-everything, man. So, you know, it was hard to, um, you know, to kind of, you know, to get our parents to understand that, you know, it's not the fact that we're not Satanists, per se. I never, I'm not a Satan. Nothing never was. You know, it, you can look at slaughter in the Vatican and go, "Oh, that's obviously satanic." Is and there's some imagery and some, 
reference sure, to. Sure, But it's only used, dude, I, I mean, we, we thought Satanism was pretty fucking stupid too. Yeah. To be honest, you know, and a lot of the satanic guys and the, <laughs> you know, we, we, I'm like, dude, either you got a God to serve and that's cool, bro. You know, but over here, man, it's, I, I don't, I don't have anything that, you know, holding me down. I don't want, I'm young. I don't, I don't need to know all of that right now. I don't want sure. to know all of that right there now. There wasn't an essential element of the music. Right. And our parents, you know, and the older crowds and shit and, you know, couldn't, couldn't really see that. It's not that we were, uh heathens so to speak and you know trying to change the world with satanism no man we just we're anti-fucking what you want us to be sure you know we don't want a uh a world that you know that you're talking about you yeah know? just a, a, a clean break we want a clean break sure 180 sure. so uh walk us through the i guess the first few years with exhorter or yeah. just i either Either you can go through it like with a fine tooth comb like that, or we can kind of look back on it and basically give to me what you got out of that experience. Well, the best part of Body Exhorter was, you know, bands are a dime a dozen. The thing about Exhorter was, as far as I was concerned, and what I think the rest of the guys were concerned. Uh, after shortly after was you didn't join a band just now you kind of joined a gang you know one for all all for one I don't give a fuck you know what if, if, some, if somebody if you if you just knifed a motherfucker and you're getting knifed back I'm coming to defend you you know what I mean I'm not gonna you know it's it was a brotherhood um, so as we moved forward with that attitude, you know, it was, I think that's what created the music that we created, you know, it was that camaraderie, man, it was like, you could, you could get into shit with one another, you could get into shit on a street, we wore each other's fucking underwear, we knew each other, each other so well, uh, it was, it was ridiculous. Yeah. So, that, that music, you know, the music was secondary pretty much to our uh, brotherhood, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's just that we were, you know, we just happened to be able to play instruments and we wanted to, <laughs> we wanted to make music. So early on, it, it was more of a, um, you know, it, 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 it hasn't been like that probably, you know, since uh, 90, 91, 92. It hasn't been like that. What do you mean? Yeah, we lost that along the way. You know? Okay, people get older. Specific and, to y'all, I got you. Yeah, specific, specific yeah. to to Exhorter, you know. Um, now, to be honest, though, man, I mean, you know, we we all, we, I wasn't the only fucking lunatic in the band. I mean, these guys were legitimate fuck ups, man. You know, <laughs> I mean, we were all fucking nuts. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I got in a fight with with my drummer over some bullshit, and you know, year one. And uh, kick this fucking door down on a trailer. I end up going to jail, doing community service. I mean, it's just fucking. <laughs> so, so that's kind of how we started out of just fucking, just you know, anger and violence. And dude, it was we were taking it out on our instruments, dude, and just making a hell of a, a noise musically about it. So, you know, after that little scuffle with with uh, with, with my drummer um, Chris, he, uh, him, Kyle, and David left the band. And it was just me and Andy again. <laughs> this is when? This had to be uh, 87. Okay. 
Yeah, had to be around 80, late 87, because we had just did the Slaughter in the Vatican demos. Um, or we were right in the middle of doing the fucking Slaughter in the Vatican demo in 87, so it definitely was 87. Tensions were already high, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a know, lot of expectations placed on such a thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, and we, we, we thought we were changing the fucking, the, the landscape sure. and the world, and, we, and so we just forged ahead, you know. Yeah. Um, but I got in that scuff with my man, you know, and, and it, it kind of freaked Kyle out, you know, and it freaked David out. David left and never, you know, he went on to go be, uh, you know, a river guy like yourself. And uh, he, you know, just never looked back, you know. So that's when I went and found Jay Sarabolo. You know, Jay had been kind of coming to shows and hanging about and, and uh, he could barely play guitar, man. This dude couldn't get through a Black Sabbath song. He couldn't get through Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath without fucking up. But he made, but I made a deal with him. I said, bro, I'll give you six months. If you can play this shit, and I'll help you. I will come and show you. I'll make you tapes and shit, whatever. Whatever you need. If you can do this shit, you got the job. You know? And that's when he got rid of his old lady. He fucking quit his job and locked himself in the room. So at the time, it's just me, Andy, and Jay trying to put some semblance of Exhorter back together. What was the, the draw? What was the draw? Did you see something in him that he didn't see in himself? Or yeah, I, mean I saw in, in Jay... <clears throat> Jay's a lot like I saw a lot of me in him okay it, it even if you didn't have the raw talent that motherfucker was going to do it out of sheer tenacity he was going to do it just so he could rub your nose in the fucking turdy just shit nice that's the kind of motherfucker he was he's like oh you you said you said I got six months to do that check this out and that, dude the shit that he gave up I mean his parents threw him out I mean this motherfucker was on the street I mean he gave it he gave me every fucking thing when all i could give him was if you can play it you're in if you can't i got no choice i gotta go somewhere else he was risking it all yeah just on my word i was like i gotta i gotta put my my fucking back behind this motherfucker yeah that'll get you. like this yeah you know so so he ended up you know so we went and got drummer man we got sid months sid months used to he was in crowbar for uh for a hot minute and uh he was in a couple of cover bands, I think, um, early on when we were kids. He played with Kirk in uh, Victorian Blitz. So uh, when, and when Kirk was was back was playing back then, and then he was in Crowbar, I said. And so anyway, we got Sid, and uh, <laughs> Sid, uh, you know, we had no singer, you know, Chris and Kyle, you know, still gone. So we spent about a whole year trying to put that shit back together and finish the Slaughter in the Vatican demo. So Sid calls me up one day. This is kind of, it's a good piece of history that I've never told anybody. So, uh, but it's important, you know, to where we land in this later. Uh, he says, listen, man, he says, I talked to Phil. At the time, Phil was, this was around 88-ish. And uh, it was summer. I remember it was hot as fuck, so it had to be the fucking summer of 88. Or 89. Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes, hey, man, I just talked to Phil. He's not happy with his current situation in Phil. Texas. And Selma. Okay. And he says, he's not happy so much with his current situation. He wants to do something heavier. You know, he, he just he can't get the guys to, you know, to, to get on board. So he says he wants to fucking come try out. So I called him. I said, try out. I was like, you know, fucking try out. You, you Phil, you can well, do familiar. this. Right. You bad. You know, you got the gig. Come home. He's like, no, 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 I, I want to do it right. I'm going to come down there, fly in, come in and try out, and fucking you know, come back and we'll finish it. I said, okay. So he came down, he 
was as good as you thought he would be, you know. And I said, I told you, you wasted your fucking plane ticket, motherfucker. You got the, you got the gig. He's like, great. So I put this motherfucker on an airplane, okay? Right after rehearsal, he's flying back to Dallas, and he's going home to quit Pantera. Mm. <laughs> okay? Now, by this time, there was, I think they were on Power Metal was the last album they had released, you know? Mm. The sound was still, you know, the sound. <laughs> so... <laughs> So anyway, he, uh, he's in the air. I drive home from the airport, walk into the fucking house, the phone's ringing. I pick up the phone, it's Kyle. I haven't heard from this motherfucker in a year. I haven't seen him, haven't talked to him, really? nothing. One year. <clears throat> he goes, hey man, I heard you had Phil up in the room. I was like, what are you talking about? I, was, I, I haven't talked to you in a year, motherfucker. How do you know? He's like, fuck all that. He says, I want to come back. Fuck, man. I said, he's in the air right now. He's going home to quit. He's going yeah. to be homeless if I, or jobless if I don't fucking. So, dude, I said, let me call you back. I hung up the phone. I called up Jay and I said, Jay. I said, I told him, I said, this motherfucker's calling me. I was, uh, he's like, bro, he's like, it's your call. You know, uh, I was like, man. So I thought about it for a second and I did the right thing. I said, absolutely, Kyle. You've come on home. Yeah, we wrote these songs together, man. We, you know, you're the only <clears throat> motherfucker I can envision singing for this thing. You know, I said you got it. I just need to stop him from fucking, you know, fucking his own shit. Right, right yeah. going home and quitting a band. That it, you know, so I said, let me see what I can do. So I fucking, you know, called over there, and you know, and Phil wasn't. Uh, he was, you know, he wasn't upset or anything. He was actually pretty happy. He's like, dude, this is just it's good news. He says I'm disappointed because I really wanted to fucking you know, give it a go with you, but, um, you know, I'm glad he's back, you know, and That's then he cool. went on and did Cowboys from Hell, and we yeah. went on and finished our little fucking thing, and did what we had to do, and got on Roadrunner and shit, but that's, the funny part is that, you know, a lot of people don't notice, but Phil was in Exhorter for about four hours. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> nobody fucking knows it, yeah. you know, so, you know, the other thing is this, like, you know, just as a side note, like, what if I had said, nah, and hung up the phone on him? Yeah. You know? What happens to Exhorter then? What does Exhorter look like with a front man, you know, arguably the best front man in heavy metal history? Two bands. What happens to two bands, really? Exactly. What happens to... It's like an alternate reality all of a sudden. I mean, that one phone call right there could have changed, you know, fuck Southern metal. They could have changed heavy metal history forever. It's true. What would have became of Kyle? What would have became of, of you know, Phil? What would have became of me? You yeah. know? How long would I have lasted with the, the Phil and Salmo show? Who knows? I, who knows? But anyway, um, that kind of reset everybody. It, it, it made Phil make up his fucking mind ultimately that, hey, I'm going, I'm going heavy or I'm going elsewhere. And that was his attitude. Pantera's either going to go fucking, you know, uh, up the game, or he was going to go somewhere else. And we just forged ahead. And Chris, once Kyle was back, Chris wanted to come back. Of course. So, right. so you know, that then we had the old gang back together, minus David Maine. And, uh, you know, we forged ahead. And, dude, you know, it lasted for a while. We went through a lot of struggles. And we had a lot of fucking problems. And, uh, you know, label-wise and, and just contractual shit. We were in limbo for three years, which from label to label, trying to switch over to Roadrunner. 
that kind of shit can wear on the best or the you know it just it, it really took a lot out of us so by the time the fucking law came around dude we were beat to death and everybody just kind of started to look at each other and just go eh, i'm pretty tired of your bullshit pretty tired of your bullshit pretty tired of your fucking bullshit. i can't imagine how frustrating it is because it's foreign territory and it's, sure. it's being experienced by people that they didn't want to they didn't want to write inside the lines to begin with and now they're dealing with nothing but right you know right right and that's you know that that's something that you know we wanted success we wanted to we hated the business because of all the ass you had to sniff and all of the shit you had to put up with you know but we knew that we in order for us to be successful we had to fucking be able to do business as well as make this music we were making you know and it just man we just we just couldn't get the two as a group sure we couldn't get the two to to meld together whether it be with my attitude was different then or his or that guy's or just at some point we all just started to non-jive when we get older too i had a baby you know in 91 i had a baby you know uh i'm, I'm writing for the law you know and I, I got a baby coming fuck you know um you know chris is getting married you know that kind of thing you know yeah talking that's about a different it, world know, that's a different world from what it was founded on anyway you know sure so when you hit the 90s you know everybody looked at one another and was like listen tired all y'all and y'all bullshit fuck everybody and we left and quit um and we you know we got back you know fast forward 35 or so years or 30 years later here we are in 2019 in between that span and this last run with exhorter uh a lot of getting together and breaking up again and i love you man and fuck you man and you know a, a, a couple of instances you know of of that you know we tried to put it back together a couple times and uh this last time was uh table was set pretty good yeah we had a good shot and it was working and uh yeah we 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 ended up in a dispute you know as usual you know and this time it was it was the only original guys left was me and kyle so this the dispute was just basically between me and him and it was basically over two bullet points that you know he, he just couldn't get past and i couldn't get past and you know finally i was like hey man fuck it if you want it this bad bro take it but you're gonna fucking get your wallet out this time <laughs> you know yeah there's a lot of times they leave me there, they leave me there sitting with the bill uh you know what's funny though man if i may interject sure i think uh if you could create a sentence that expressed brotherhood the best it was you already said it i love you man and fuck you man <laughs> right <laughs> you know and right. It, it's the sad truth it's t completely dysfunctional and it's not meant to to form fit function anything you know what i'm saying and it's unfortunate but um it is of my opinion that he at this particular moment probably hates my fucking guts he won't say it in the media but he probably does just my opinion yeah i could be wrong um but five years seven years eight years from now <laughs> you know who knows yeah there's, there's an i love you phase and there's a fuck you phase and then there's a love you phase and there's a fuck you phase exactly it, it, it's it's never going to work for either party and yeah. I, I think you touched on something that's probably been understated this whole time is that um you know as people get older the, the band was founded on morals principles and ideals and drive of kids right, right. and kids will be willing to die for 
Sure. Street credit. And, <laughs> right. you know, as you get older, street credit kind of gets trumped by a few other things like, you know, not being toothless or being able to, being able <laughs> Which to, I've been. Not, you know, being able to wake up tomorrow. So what I'm getting yeah. at is I, I think something that's been understated the whole time is that, you know, y'all were maturing in the meantime, in the midst of this all, right. and you start having kind of needs or kind of requirements or kind of things that, you know, you think would be nice. Look, I'll be honest with you, okay? The two, like I said, there was only one or two bullet points here that needed to happen for us to continue doing business this time. Yeah. And uh, the reason I tell you the Phil story about Phil being with Exhorter and uh, for a little while, um, it's because it was because of that little three-letter word, simple word, Y-E-S. Mm-hmm. Didn't have to think about it. I really didn't have to. I didn't have to go. I didn't hang up the phone and go, fuck, man. Okay, do I keep Phil? Do I fucking keep Kyle? Phil can sing this a little better, but Kyle's good at this. I didn't fucking mow it over. I said, yes. Your, this is your home. Yeah. This is where you belong. And whenever Exhorter would break up in the past, you know, we would just lay it to rest. Nobody owned the, the trademark or the copyrights or anything to that name. It just sat there. And it would always sit there until we, most of us or all of us, decided to do it again. Yeah. And it was always home, for, home base for us. If we ever wanted to make something of that thing that we built when we were kids, uh, it was always there for us. And it started when I said, yes. Yeah. Fast forward to 2019, all he had to do was say yes to a very simple, simple request. Yeah. Instead, what happened was my lawyer calls and says <laughs> they want to enact a vote to vote you out of your own band. Um, I said, well, I figured that, uh, Mr. Attorney, and I, I already sent a letter of intent to sell my 50% shares of Exhorter to a third party buyer. So now Kyle has to. Uh, either meet or uh, beat that offer in order to uh, not have a, another partner. Yeah. Because I knew, he, I pretty much figured he, I was going to get backdoored again. Uh, so anyway, uh, I don't want to make this out to where I'm a, I'm a saint, okay? Yeah, no. I'm not, But okay? you know what? But I can I, tell you this. I said yes. Yeah. And to avoid all of this shit, you know, 30 years later, all he had to do was say yes. Yeah. You know? And, but that home ain't there for me no more. I sold it to him. It's gone. It's gone. And, and I, I kind of did it in, in out of spite because I know that this is probably the last time ever. It, and, it, and it probably is, dude. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, going back to that shit and trying to make that fucking turd float, you know, yeah. it's like, fuck this, man. You know, I got, look, I made that baby 35 fucking years ago. I'll make another one. You know what I mean? I'll, it'll never be the same as that, you know, but homie can write, I can write a song, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I know people, I can play with people, and contrary to popular fucking belief, people like being in bands with me, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but they you know, do. in general, man, I, I don't even think you need to speak on it because uh, it, it, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, it, it's kind of like a lady saying, I can make another beautiful child. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. No, I'm being, I'm being honest and honest mean. and genuine because it... 
it just goes without saying. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, I don't think it needs to be said. And I feel like you were guided by principles, not business, as was he in the yeah. beginning. And over yeah. time, um, maybe the lines start to get blurred because of the needs of adults. Yes. You know, and that is it's it unfortunate. Is. I, I don't. I, I like I said. I think the best, the best uh, sentence that came out of your mouth was. Uh, I love you, but fuck you. Right, it, it's <laughs> right. it's a brothers, you right. know. It's a brotherhood. It is for love, for better, for worse. You it know? is. It um, is. Moving forward, though. Sure. Um, I, I guess there's some people out there that want to know what you're working on these days. Yeah, uh, I got a lot going on. Just doesn't look like it. <laughs> so I'll be coming to this motherfucker every uh, every week. Uh, you know, working with Dwayne now you know, mm -hmm. on on some projects. You know, I'm not basically I'm not an employee of OCD, but uh, but you know, I'm kind of in the or trying to break into the production game a little along with playing music. So right now we're doing uh, me and him are co-producing Kirk Winstein's second solo album. Okay, um, which has been a fucking hell of a fucking ride, man. It's been it's just great to watch him. Work. I've been knowing him since fuck, man. We were kids, dude. I mean, sure, Fat know. City days. Yeah, and we hung out, man. We've done it all together, you know. We fucking shared band rooms together, fucking drank together, fucked together, fucking. We did it all together, you know. But I've never been able to play fucking music with this motherfucker, or you know, really kind of watch him do his thing, you know, and, and watch him work. So that's been just amazing. So you know, he called me. He says, uh, he says, look, man, why don't you come in and do like. Uh, he calls them sweetie tracks, you know, and uh, it's just like little, uh, you know, little soloy stuff in between lines that he'll sing, you know, or something, you know. Okay. Or I'll do like a little solo on one song or something. So anyway, I wrote a little piece for him on one. He loved it. Uh, he called me back. He says, Vince, if, if you want to go in and, and kind of co-produce this thing, man, I'd love to have you fucking on the on the gig. So I was like, fucking right. So I'm doing a little bit of writing. Um, with it not much at all man it's 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 totally him you know but me and Dwayne are just kind of coloring this album as to like you know it's basically our interpretation of what we think uh Kirk Winstein the solo artist should sound like on this particular album okay you know it's fucking fantastic though the mechanics of it uh what's happening first because and I, I ask that out of my own curiosity because Dwayne has described to me the process with Kirk sometimes is uh, you don't know what's going to happen until it comes out of him. <laughs> so right. how has this creative process been? Well, it, it's great because it's he does it. He does it um, as far as from what he's what he's told me. It's a little different than Crowbar. You know, he'll um, you know, he'll he'll prepare things and and. Um, you know, have songs and things written and planned out and shit for for some crowbar stuff. With his solo stuff, you know, he's he does he he'll he'll come in and drop a couple of riffs on a click and and uh, you know me and Dwayne will sit there and go okay well, so what if we did this and this and that and the other and uh, but a lot of it is um, you know just him coming up with it on the fly here, you know like fucking one day I, I come in man he's in he's got a guitar and he's trying to write a new piece for a thing we're working on in there and he's and I was like. Man, Heard something, give me that. He gives it to me, and fucking give it back to him. And Dwayne goes over and goes, we tried this note, that note, and we all fucking do it together. So it's we get moments like that. We get moments where Kirk just plans it out. Then we get moments where we don't know what he's gonna do. He comes in here, uh, you know, doesn't know what, we, what he's gonna sing. <clears throat> just gets out of paper and a pen and just starts writing, man. And you know, it's just it's. 
I've seen like, uh, you know, it's, you know what it's like, man. It's almost like the way rappers make a, a an album. You know, they'll uh, they'll go, ah, right, it's time to go to studio, time to go to work. You know, they don't know what the fuck they're gonna do until they walk in the studio. They go yeah. eight hours a day for fucking three months, you know, and just come up with it there. Uh, that's kind of what's going on here. You know, there's a couple of preparedness things going on leading into a, a, a song, but usually it's just in a form of like three or four riffs on to a click. And then, uh, you know, Dwayne's doing all the MIDI drums and stuff, man. I'm playing a lot of bass on it. Uh, some guitar, a lot of solo stuff, you know. Um, so, yeah, man, it's 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 that's it's refreshing because I've never done a record that way. I was going to ask how it makes you feel, how how that creative process struck you. You know, it, and I told him before I, before I said yes to the whole thing, I said, listen, man, I got to be honest. You asked me to produce, because the only, the only real credit, you know, accredited producer thing I have to, to my name is the last Exhorter album, you know. And, uh, you know, I was like, dude, I planned every fucking cymbal hit on that motherfucker. I mean, you hear a stick clicking in that motherfucker, it's because I said so. So, how in the fuck are, are we going to be able to plan all of this, you know? He's like, no, Vince, it ain't going to be like that. We're going we're gonna to do it like this and like that. I'm like, okay, man, show me, you know? Yeah. Show me. And, you know, I'm, look, I can do that kind of shit. You know, I can come in on the fly and, and uh, you know, and pop something out and, and, and be creative on the spot, but... You know, I'm, I'm kind of a, an I-dotter and a T-dotter. So what I learned was, was when you work with Kurt on, on this particular project, you, uh, you let it happen, and then you go home and dot the I's and cross the T's, you know. Then mm -hmm. I go and critique it and go, okay, maybe we should maybe take away this note or that note. And, man, a lot of times it's not a lot for me to critique, you know. A lot of it's just fucking magic, man. Right? You know, it's hilarious, though, when you started all of this at the beginning of your life, that wasn't possible. <laughs> yeah. no, so no, it's no. kind of changed the face of creativity or the creative process it's kind of added a new palette wow you know yeah because you can edit shit now yeah you know and and all you know it's it's weird man it's like so i as an old son of a bitch i feel like i'm cheating a little right i mean because dude i mean back in my day man if you made a mistake you you backed up and punched it in <laughs> jack you know and you sat there until that son of a bitch pressing the button said it was good yeah you know and I was like, fuck, man, this is, eh, you yeah. know, we'll, we'll, we'll fix it in editing or we'll fix it in this. And, 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 you know, there's a certain amount of that going on, okay? I don't care who the fuck you are now. You know you're editing, motherfuckers. I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you. You know you, you don't. Know, you don't need to provide any excuses, man. I know it feels like you're just saying fuck it and sprinkling Tony Sashers in the shoe instead of being like, I got my own list of herbs. Right. It's, it's okay. I mean, everybody does it. I don't, I don't think... I, I think as long as you are satisfied with the end result, um, not for the sake of anyone but yourself, right. then it's going to be pure. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, my thing is this: is I, I don't mind doing a little editing here or there, just to maybe do a little time correction if you if you were um, a little bit behind the drums or something on something. Yeah, correct it up a little bit. I'm not gonna sit here and fucking spend hours, you know. Perf I, I mean, it, but it, as long as it, as long as you're not cheating to the point of uh, it's affecting the music. Sure, you know. I hate to even call it cheating. I mean, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's it's unlike what you were used to. So I'm sure yeah. it's kind of funny to even describe. You know, it is. It, it, it's weird to watch them all. You know, you know the the, the knob guys and they, you know, Dwayne. It's, it's weird, man. Dwayne and them. 
it, it, you know, go to, you know, move, doing that shit. And it's like, it's like watching fucking a video game. Or you something. call them that when you walk in the room, you're like, what's up with you knob guys? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'll tell you what, them motherfuckers back there, they, they know their shit. They can land spaceships, huh? Yes, they can. That's they know awesome. their shit. And, and they, they're good producers in there too. Yeah. You know, Dwayne in his own right is, you know, just fucking, you know, he's, he's brilliant. I mean, we wrote a song uh, together, me and Dwayne, he, he handed me a, an acoustic piece and uh and i took it home and i said okay let me fuck with this a little bit and uh came back with a weird thing i said dude i'm sorry i kind of went off the rails and did this <laughs> so he goes fuck I, I, okay and i you know and it's going to be on kirk's record you know matter of fact it was uh the first uh, kirk said he was it was the first song he's ever had to uh write lyrics to that he didn't have to do with musically himself um i was like wow so how's that feel he's like i don't know doing it right now <laughs> you know what that's cool though it's man because you honestly it sounds like you're still continuing on in your own spirit of anti just kind of rewriting i you am know? i am man look, look i'm trying to do it in the production world too you know if if i can get a hold of a band um you know like modern mimes we just did them um great band two two out of miami one from here um it's uh as the band you know it, it's got to be a project that i believe in sure you know i can't just be i couldn't open up a studio and just take anybody mm -hmm. you know it just it just wouldn't be in my nature to do it it would be doing a disservice to to the people i was taking money from sure so this is one thing i don't fuck around with you know i have a dis i have a natural disdain for the music business <laughs> you know and and i try and separate my fucking you know art if you want to call it that from that shit because the minute that shit gets involved in that shit it's fucking it never it's never the, yeah those two words don't belong together dude and, i mean and, they live together but they don't belong together that's it so so yeah i can't uh sell out's a good word i can't i can't sell out to that process man i can't have industry people telling me oh you need more fast songs on your fucking album man you can't you can't deviate you know from this that quick um from your sound that quick well, why the fuck not you know where were you when i was writing slaughter in the vatican motherfucker were you telling me that was oh that's too brutal that's i don't think the world's ready for that you know if if you'd have been in my ear talking that shit back then yeah <laughs> well, that would <clears throat> album would have never happened if i listened to your fucking ass i'm not gonna listen to you now you know but you know you, it, it's a marriage man you, you gotta do business you gotta you gotta embrace that side of it too and you gotta you know if you want to be anywhere with it so I actually enjoy being here more now and producing bands, you know, so I'm, but it's got to be a project that I really believe in. Sure. You know. Uh, is there a tentative date, do you know, uh, for Kirk Strop? I don't know. The second one? I don't know. Um, hey, my guess is, is it might be, before, it's going to be before the end of the year, I believe. Yeah. Um, so probably fall i would imagine you know that's that's generally what labels like to do either a spring release or a fall release you know? gotcha um so my guess is probably before the end of the year um and then uh, after that uh when we finish that record i'm i'm going to continue working on my uh you know the, the pro i can't say who it, who it's with at the moment because of time you know because of uh you know other things the business end of it sure but yeah i'm working on a project uh, where i'm actually playing and writing songs and it is my project with this with this other gentleman and uh there's going to be some other people involved in that that uh, you'll recognize too 
Um, and we've been working on that behind the scenes for a long time. You know, we've been talking about that for a good year, year and a half now. That was the vaguest paragraph I think I've ever heard in my life. You, you should be a politician. <laughs> but I appreciate you sharing that with us. <laughs> yeah, I hope that could I didn't be the end of the world much. or Christmas is coming. I don't even know. <laughs> uh, dude, I appreciate your time. I had a hey, blast. I egg, do man. appreciate it. Shit, that was a good rap, man. Yeah, that was awesome. Bro, I enjoyed that. Check it out. We all pretty much start off like jam bands. We get together, we push our souls out through the speakers. We look around the stage and read off of one another and, you know, after so much time, we know where the next person is going. Aside from those connections, we build connections with the fans, and that means the world to us. That's why listeners like yourself are so important to us. We'd love to have you back, so hit the button and follow the show. You can also support this show by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash New Orleans Music. That's buymeacoffee.com slash New Orleans Music. And remember, you can find music videos, albums, articles, and interviews with bands like my own, Pocket Chocolate, on neworleansmusicians.com. Thanks for listening. 